Life's complicated and overwhelming enough, especially for those in mission-driven work. Let's make your journey to health as simple and sustainable as possible. I'm Lisa Baker, and I want to welcome you to the Simply Health Coaching Podcast, where it's the food, and it's more than the food. On this podcast, we'll talk about the food you put in your mouth and everything else that nourishes you or doesn't, with special attention paid to the problems and opportunities facing women burning out in mission-driven work. Starting with season two, we're going to spend time talking with three types of guests, women experiencing burnout in mission-driven work, conventional and alternative practitioners who serve them, and with others whose lives intersect with them and their organizations, in particular with individuals looking to implement innovative ways to fund the holistic health of these women. My vision is a world in which you can be well while doing good, and my mission is to give you the simple resources and practices and some helpful connections to get there. Let's get started. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by EAT, Your Way to Health, my group health coaching program for women burning out in mission-driven work. What makes this program different from other programs? For one thing, we focus on the stresses that are specific to mission-driven work. Perhaps even more importantly, scholarships are available, my way of making health coaching accessible to everybody. For more information or to apply for the March 2021 cohort, go to is good that's is.gd slash eat your way to health or follow the link in the show notes and if you're not in need of coaching and are looking to do some good in the world consider donating to the eat scholarship fund details at simplyhealthcoaching.com slash gift and that link is also in the show notes are you a woman burning out in mission-driven work are you familiar with the enneagram If so, this week's episode, actually this week's and last week's, are just for you. I'm chatting with my friend Stephanie Blackburn-Freeth of Adaptive Alternatives, LLC, in a special two-part series on burnout and the Enneagram. You may want to go back and listen to the previous episode in which we talk about how burnout shows up for each of the nine types before you listen to this one. This week, we dig into the antidote for burnout for each type. Need more information about the Enneagram? Check out the links in the show notes. Talk to us a little bit about like what's the what's the antidote for each one of those. So the the growth path in the enneagram is all, and and your listeners may not want to hear this, but it's basically doing the exact thing we don't want to do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so here's the thing. When we're stuck in our, like, so burnout represents the, the narrow range of our personality. We're stuck in this like compulsive behavior, very narrow. If we wanna expand our range, we have to experiment with other ways of being in the world. And so we can take on each of the healthy types. I mean, we tend to be one Enneagram type, but we have each of all, all types mm-hmm. in us to some degree. So in, in order to expand range, we can do the opposite. Of, of what we don't want to do. So for a three, that looks like if I'm in my overwork pattern, I need to stop. I need to create space. I need to be a human being versus a human doing. And it's really uncomfortable. I've had times, um, especially in, at the beginning of the pandemic, I really kind of doubled down and I 
did this course and I was building my business and I'm talking to a ton of people. And then towards these latter months, I noticed like, I got to create more space because I'm doing my thing. And so I would practice more meditation or I would spend an hour just not doing anything. And I would let myself feel the discomfort within my body because it's, mm. it's like my nervous system was programmed to like, you got to go do something. You got to, you got to stay safe by like keeping on doing something. So yeah. there was this like drive that I could feel in my body. So I needed to do the opposite and I needed to create space and it's still a journey. I'm still doing that. And it feels uncomfortable to go to do the opposite of what what we're are, we're kind of programmed to do. But that's part of peeling back the onion and creating more range for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And as as a fellow three, I really I think about that a lot because I I before the pandemic I was already thinking, you know what, I work for myself. There is always something I can be doing. The to do list is never going to be to done. So what if I were to just say? I'm done at five o'clock. What if I were just say, I don't work on weekends. You know? uh, <laughs> and wow, is that uncomfortable. And mm -hmm. it's something that I really sort of toyed with before the pandemic. And once the pandemic hit, I really started implementing it because yeah. I, I started going to really weird places with um, just exhaustion, like really that freeze, that freeze mode that was just I can't. I'm so like my brain hurts. I'm so tired. <laughs> so yeah. So that's interesting. So go where you don't want to go. <laughs> yeah, All right. It can feel really good to overwork, and you're like, but I'm excited and I'm passionate about this, and I want. It doesn't do feel like work. That's the big right. one. <laughs> right. And yet, when when it when you can't stop, you know that it's become compulsive. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. boundaries are huge for threes and for many types to just yeah. to say, I'm going to set my own boundaries and stick to them. That that's, yeah. that's a huge part of the growth. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's something that anyone, anyone in burnout really does need to learn about is boundaries. <laughs> and I think in nonprofits and, and mission driven work in general, that is, that is something that a lot of people really lack is yeah. boundaries because you do go into it because you're passionate about being of service and you want to be of service and you spend all day being in service and then you go home to be in more service <laughs> and it, it it's just it, it's a recipe for disaster if you don't have really good boundaries so yeah and one of the phrases i love to use with clients is um the idea of a whole body yes um can we check in with head heart and gut and say do i have a yes for this yeah. And when you make agreements from a whole body yes, and let, you're like, no, I don't want to do that. If I really check in, I'm not going to add that to the list. And giving yourself permission yeah. to create those agreements or boundaries from a whole body yes is, is a game changer. And particularly when an organization starts practicing that, you know, it, because most drama in organizations is caused by, um, breaking agreements and not having mm -hmm. clear agreements. And so mm -hmm. having a process for doing that around a whole body, yes. Not that, I mean, sometimes there's still directives in workplaces, I get that, but, but yeah. the more places start to, um, and again, this, this applies on an individual level and it can apply on an organizational level as well. The more people really honor their, their head, heart and gut when they're creating boundaries, it, it makes a huge difference. 
Mm, yeah, I love that. I I usually break it into like a sacred yes. Does this feel like a sacred yes and or a holy yes and a hell no? You know? There you go. <laughs> yeah. Just really checking in with your gut because that's something that we we don't do very often. We just say yes because it's expected of us. You know? Well, I, I even have a one pager on practicing a no diet, N-O, meaning the, so for 30 days, you practice saying like, I'm going to say no to every request that comes in to me. And then I'm going to check and say like, okay, do I really want to do this? And you can override that no, yep. but it can be great, especially for twos or others, other types that have a hard time saying no, it's, mm. it can be such a, practice to say like, I'm taking a no diet right now. Can you support me in taking this? I <laughs> like that. A no <laughs> diet. Oh, that speaks to the health coach in me big time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ooh, much better than a no chocolate, no red wine diet. <laughs> Just yeah, a general like, no diet. <laughs> yep. Not going to do it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's dig into these other, the other uh, types and, and talk about, you know, what does, what does the growth edge look like for them in terms of getting out of burnout? So we okay. talked about the threes. How about the ones? So for each of these, the key is first to notice, notice when you're in your pattern and actually to bring yourself compassion rather than judgment. Because a lot of times we want to push that pattern away. We want to make ourselves bad for it. We want to like criticize ourselves. And that's what locks the pattern in place. So when I work with coaching clients, we talk about acceptance. And acceptance means, can I, can I just accept myself in this moment for being reactive, for being triggered, for being in this place? Because when we don't want to accept it, it, it makes it worse. What we resist persists. And so a big part of it is, can we bring ourselves compassion when we get in our burnout place of like, just doing my pattern again, I'm going to be, you know, bring myself self-compassion because yeah. then you can shift it. You can be like, okay, I'm going to do something different. Mm, and so I love that. Yes. That speaks exactly to what I talk about with people too, because I, I'm always saying like, if you, if you judge yourself and make yourself bad, that's the end of the conversation. If you look at it with acceptance and curiosity, that's the beginning of the conversation. So I always say there, you know, there's two ways to ask this question. Same words, two different ways. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do this? That's so judgy, right? But what if you say, huh, why can't I do this? Yeah. It's a completely different conversation. One stopped, mm -hmm. one starts. Like, oh, now you have all these solutions that you can can contemplate like you have opportunity rather than like oh that's it I'm bad done yeah can't do anything and about it <laughs> you just describe what what we call in conscious leadership leadership terms being below the line or above the line so when we're below the line we're in a state of threat we're 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 triggered we're like we're judging we're blaming we're criticizing and our bodies are we go into that default mode when we're above the line we have you can still feel your feelings from above the line but you have access to creativity to innovation mm. to collaboration and and so we'll say you can't shift what you can't accept yeah. so if if you're below the line and in a state of reactivity or trigger when there's no acceptance you're not going to be able to access being above the line either yeah. So that acceptance really is, acceptance is sort of that line, that, that neutrality, like, oh, this it, is, this is neutrality here. I'm, I'm not going to judge myself. Right? Yeah, and then, and then yeah. it opens up 
opens up the door to being above that line. Acceptance is, and it's not, again, it's not bad to be below the line. There's so much to learn when we're below the line, but, but acceptance can be the gateway of staying in this like reactive place to getting into a more proactive mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so so basically for, for all these types, it really is noticing self-acceptance and then you can choose to, to do the opposite of what you're doing um, yeah. and practice feeling, feeling the discomfort. So for ones, since they are the reformers and they're trying to play by the rules, break the rules, like get messy, like let yourself be worse. Yes. <laughs> yes. Don't be perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm, I, I do want to say a lot of these notes, I, I just took Beatrice Chestnut's, um, the shadow side of the Enneagram, um, six week, no, it was longer than that. It was like an eight week course online. And it was amazing. So, and we talked a lot about integrating the shadow for each of the types. So I'm drawing mm. from, from her notes as we talk about the. Yeah. I love that. And I want to make sure to get that link from you to, to her work so that we can put it in the, in the show notes. Yeah. Oh, there's so many great Enneagram experts and she's yeah. one of my favorites. Um, okay. So for the two, their mantra is what do I need what, what do I need now? And asking that all day long, because they have a hard time tuning into their own needs. Like, what do, what do I need? They're so focused on everybody else's needs that really tuning in and saying, what do I need now? That's the biggest game changer for them. And, and asking for help, which is really hard because they feel like they could lose approval. They could lose love. So being willing to ask for help. Um, and then that no diet, setting firm boundaries. That's, that's great for twos as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the threes we talked about a little bit, you know, being versus doing, slowing down, creating space. I notice even as I, I talk, I, I like get fast when I'm excited about things. So slowing the pace, um, sitting with the discomfort, feeling the emotions um, and connecting to what I want. So threes can be shapeshifters. We can, we can try to meet everyone else's needs, kind of like twos, but more in terms of like, um, approval and getting stuff done and wanting to appear smart or friendly or helpful, whatever it may be. So getting in touch with our own authentic, authentic needs is important for threes as well. Great. All right. Okay. So Noted. <laughs> for the fours, we'll just keep moving through these. The, the fours, since they have that on off switch about positive things about themselves, they could just make a list of all the good things about themselves or ask the people who know and love them, what are the good things you see about me? And get that feedback. And also gratitude practices are great for, for fours. Mm. Um, if they're having a feeling, great, process them, but then let it go. Like you don't have to yeah. wallow in it for six hours to fully feel the feeling. You can, you can process it, feel it, I be with the sadness and then be like, okay, can, can I let it go? Mm, yeah. Interesting. And then for the fives, if they can notice their control patterns around their, their time and energy, just seeing those patterns, but also knowing that um, they have access to abundance if they want to choose to see it that way. Um, that instead of like noticing when they get in their scarcity patterns and saying like, well, what is, what, what if I had all the abundance I needed? And, and allowing that, being able to see that. And then also just allowing it, emotions instead of keeping the, them at bay. When we, sometimes when we resist things, we spend so much energy and resistance that to actually do the thing that, that we're scared of, it'd be a lot less energy. Yes, yes. Oh, there's so many things that are like that too. I just, I find that like, 
there are certain tasks that we just put off and put off and put off because they feel huge. And then when you do them, finally, it's kind of like, oh, God, I spent a lot of time not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You just don't want to go there. Yeah, yeah. So let's, we'll do a few more. So the sixes. Um, so for them, it's noticing when are they in the high side of six, which is accessing their intuition, because sixes can be great at allowing intuition, or are they on the low side of projecting? And, and, and seeing, projecting that fear out onto others, seeing it in the world because it feels too uncomfortable. So just noticing, is this intuition or is this projection? And kind of asking themselves that question is a great um, strategy for the sixes. Um, noticing when they're projecting their power away. Um, and then here's one thing, if you're in relationship with a six, don't invalidate their fear. Um, that it's about, so you acknowledge it and it's about moving forward, even with the fear there, but don't be like, oh, don't, that's silly. Don't be, don't worry. It'll be fine. <laughs> like, yes. yeah, maybe this is scary. And, and what would it take to move forward? Even with, with the fear that can be really important for, for mm. people who are supporting sixes. Oh, that's a great question. I, I suspect I have a six in my family, so gonna gonna pocket that question. <laughs> yeah. Well, and each of the types actually has three subtypes, and so we won't get into this today. But um, each of the subtypes shows up differently, and there can be counter types. So, for example, I'm a self-preservation three, which is the counter type of the three. So, some of the patterns around threes, I deny that I do them, <laughs> and, mm. and I I reject them. And so, all of the counter types can look different than the, than the overall type. So, there's actually a counter. The one to one subtype for the six can look like an eight they can look very they, like they can show up as strength it's still fear that's driving them from within but they they can be very fierce they can give blunt feedback mm. um, so they can kind of go against some of the parts of the type so that's why sometimes it takes a while for people to find their enneagram type because they may do a test it may not resonate so a lot of times the the magic is in the subtype actually hmm oh yeah we're gonna have to have more than one conversation <laughs> <laughs> All right, There's what so are we up to, to now? Explore. Okay, let's see, that was six, let's that do six. seven. Yep, so sevens really don't wanna sit in pain. So for sevens, if they can titrate going back and feeling their pain and kind of coming back and feeling good and feel their pain a little bit, come back. If they can touch on the pain and know that they're not gonna be stuck there forever, mm -hmm. it helps them kind of build up some tolerance because sevens really don't wanna be trapped in deprivation. and having their options limited. And so just kind of touching on that pain and coming back, back and forth can be important for sevens. They also noticing when they get into rationalization and avoidance. Sevens are, um, are big rationalizers. They get in their head. They like to say like, well, this is why I'm doing it, but noticing yeah. that. Um, and then just asking for feedback, um, especially sometimes sevens don't always, they start tasks, but they don't always finish it. So asking others about the impact um, can, can be a, a positive thing as well. All right. How okay. So eights, the big thing for them is to become aware of their vulnerability. And that's 80, as Beatrice Chestnut will say, that's 80% of the work for, for eights to do. Um, and here's the thing, there's nothing more powerful than an eight that is in touch with their vulnerability. Because when they have this other side that, that's fierce in the world externally, but also in touch with their vulnerability, that's an amazing combination, especially as a leader. So for eights, it's all about getting in touch with 
um, vulnerability. And again, they're they're in the self-forgetting triads with eight, eight nines and ones. And so self-care, you know, mm. whether that's massage, whether that's meditation, whether that's going on a long walk, um, just making time for that as well. And and sometimes, you know, anger, being aware of where, when anger is driving them and what's at the deeper level of the anger and feeling those emotions is important too. Hmm. Yeah. And what okay, about the nines? More. Yeah, the nines. So um, the mantra for the nines is what's the most important thing to do for yourself today? They're the, they're the peacemakers. And again, kind of like twos, they're, they're focused on, on other people. So um, if they, oh, the other thing is nines have a, a fascinating relationship to anger. So if they can write down a list of what they were really thinking inside when they're angry and what they actually said and see the difference between the two can help them get more in touch with their anger. Because when, when nines suppress anger, they're also suppressing their power. And so when they cut themselves off from that anger, they're not gonna show up as their full self. So really healthy nines go to what's called right action. They know what is available in the moment. They know the next right thing to do. And when they're in the, the grip of, of shutdown, of burnout, they, they just are shut down and they can't kind of go to that next action. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how that would work. Wow, that's that's a lot to think about. <laughs> and I love how it's all so individual because a big part of my work is bioindividuality, just really talking about like what's right for you and what's right for you right now. And the fact of the matter is that you actually work with organizations. So my next question for you is, okay, we've looked at all these individuals and how they act and perhaps how they interact. What do you think needs to happen on an organizational level for this kind of work to be possible by individuals? So more and more organizations are actually starting to use the Enneagram explicitly in their workplaces. So I'm working with a team right now where their CEO wanted to bring conscious leadership tools in. And so we, we've taught all of those. And then I said, hey, let's add in the Enneagram. So they had everybody take an assessment. Then we did a debrief of here's how each of these shows up in terms of communication in the workplace, in terms of giving and receiving feedback, in terms of just how work gets done. So when people know like, okay, so-and-so is in their two pattern or, or someone's coming from their eight pattern, it almost, by getting more personal, it depersonalizes the, um, the, it's almost easier to handle like, oh, they're just, it kind of goes back to acceptance. They're just showing up in their eight pattern right now. Right. It's sort of like taking some stigma away. It is. And, and there's actually Beatrice Chestnut has a great book called the nine types of leadership. And it's, it's meant for people in the workplace. It has really good feedback about say you're a seven manager and you have a one employee. It's like, here's how to give that employee feedback. Here's, here's what shows up. So the more you start seeing the patterns, the more you can talk about them. You've got language to talk about them. Like, Hey, mm -hmm. I'm noticing that this is how you're showing up. I'm imagining this is what's going on for you. It, it just gives you way more access to really knowing um, how to respond in a loving way to someone when they're just showing up in their, their pattern and doing mm -hmm. what they know doing what's best like they they're doing the best they can and when they don't have awareness of it how it is a reactive pattern they can't really 
it's about increasing that range like we we're talking about before they stay stuck like this is how i act and i can't deviate from it yes. <laughs> i am a three and i will always be a three <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. it's it takes time it but it's it's not flavor of the month work it is deep work and what i've seen is that the the organizations that are willing to take this on their performance levels, their communication levels, like it, it, you just start to make gains that you can't in by, in, by, you know, ignoring this type of, of work. Yeah. Yeah. And I find it so interesting that, that so much of the, so many of the types you mentioned, like there's this self-care issue, <laughs> like you're not getting in touch with what it is you need. And it, it opens the door to a very interesting conversation about how do how do organizations make sure that their staff is actually getting what it needs to be healthy on that level. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, sometimes even asking people, how are you doing? But not just the question, really wanting to know the answer. Is yeah. it safe for someone to be like, I'm a mess? Yes. You know, I've, got, I've got these kids here and they're homeschooling and, you know, my husband's out of work. Like, are we willing to be with the mess with each other instead right. of like partition it off of like work and home? If the pandemic's done anything, it's taken away these kind of, you know, boundaries. Yeah. And we show up as our whole selves. Like you said before, we, we just, we can't be one person at work and one person. Yeah. The same woman shows up at work that shows up at exactly. home. And, yep. and when is it going to be okay to actually be that person 24 seven, rather than this is work me and this is home me. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think you're right. I think the pandemic really opened the door to that. And I don't know how you're feeling about it, but I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that maybe some things will stay in place once, once things open up a little bit, but um, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more about your your feeling around how, how the pandemic is actually one of possibilities for organizations. Mm, oh, there's so much. You know, I think that, um, I think the pandemic has stripped away a lot of distractions in some ways. It's, you know, sports aren't going on and all the things that we thought we had to do or haven't been able to do. And so um, it's it's focused, at least in my world, I've had to, to be with, do I wanna be with me right now? Can I take mm. another day of being stuck at home with nowhere to go? Yeah. And like, can I, can I notice when, let's say I'm getting annoyed by the kids or I'm getting annoyed by my husband, I, I use the, the um, kind of flip of like, I'm annoying myself. It's not them out there doing it. It's like, oh, what's triggered in me? So <laughs> for me during this pandemic, a lot of this, I've, I've been so thankful to have these practices because I've gotten to just use them and without yeah. access to them and without my meditation practice, like I think I probably would have gone kind of crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, that reminds me so much of the work of Byron Katie where you know, you're know you asking like, is this true? Is this really true? And then you try to, I forget what she calls it, the inverse of it. Like when you the try turnaround. to reframe the turnaround. Yeah. yeah, when she calls it the turnaround and, and that's such an interesting turnaround. Like, oh, I'm just being triggered. It's not that yeah. they are triggering me. It's yeah. like, hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it's made a big difference. And, and I think, you know, again, to me, leadership um, and awakening our consciousness starts at an individual level. And the more work I do on me, the more I'm not projecting my crap into the world. 
my fears, my bad experiences from the past. But I think that the pandemic has shown us like, what are we, what are we bringing into the world that we could heal in ourselves first? Yeah. And so for me, it's been having the space to do that. I think when organizations come together, you know, they're still trying to get stuff done. Um, I, I think people are probably reassessing priorities. I mean, I do a lot of strategic planning work with organizations and we're not doing that right now. It's, you can't really do long range planning right now. And in many ways, I think that how can we be in the moment and do planning in the moment? How can we be in the now? And to me, having the capacity to make decisions in the moment goes back to a lot of the same conscious leadership tools that, that I teach people about, that, that awareness of when am I triggered? Where am I, when am I not? Can I feel mm -hmm. my feelings? Can I take responsibility? Can I speak candidly? Like those are the types of practices that are so valuable they get overlooked when it's like, I have a task to get done and we have to hit the end of, you know, year end quarter numbers. And it, it, it takes the humanity. I don't know. It takes the humanity out of when we try to strip out that we are all human beings and we go to that human doings category, we're not bringing our full self to whatever effort we're working on. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I've been thinking a lot about that um, in terms of, you know, there is this sense that we can't do long range planning or strategic planning because we, we can't see ahead. And I was just listening to a podcast and I can't remember who it was, but they were saying, you know, actually the future is not any less certain than it ever has been. <laughs> Like yes. when you think about it, you make all these plans on the assumption that you can control the future and you know what it's going to look like. And guess what? We've never been able to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's really what the pandemic is, is making really clear yeah, is that, you know what, is. what is the problem right now? And what can we do about the problem that is right now with an eye toward, you know, we can think about the future, but we can't control it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And the more we, we resist what is happening in the moment, the less we have the capacity to, to be proactive and handle it well. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Oh, so much to talk about. <laughs> oh, but it feels like this would be a good place to, to bring it to a close. <laughs> so Stephanie, tell us if anyone would like to learn more about your work and how you can work with them and with organizations, their organizations, how can they find you? And I'll make sure to put this in the show notes, but go ahead and tell us. Sure. Well, I'm on LinkedIn. So if anybody wants to send me a connection request, I'd love that. It's just Stephanie Blackburn Freeth on LinkedIn, or my website is adaptivealt.com. So adaptive then alt.com. Great. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having this conversation and shedding a little light on the very complex thing that is Enneagram. And I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we're going to have more conversations about this. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, it's a pleasure to get to speak with you. And I, I love that uh, you're focused on helping people from a health perspective, you know, all these things influence each other and they show up in different ways. So yeah. I always love having the opportunity to collaborate with other like-minded and like like hearted professionals. Yes. Like you. And I love, you know, all these things that you talk about what you do in, in terms of your coaching tools of like, oh yeah, exactly like what I do, but I just focus it on health, you know, and you focus it on something else. And so there's always this, this feeling, somebody was asking me the other day about, you know, do you think there's, there's a lack of, of integrity 
in the coaching field and why is that? And, mm -hmm. and I thought, you know, what really I have found in the coaching field is that there is so much integrity. And the fact is that, you know, I can look at you and be like, she uses every single tool that I do in a completely <laughs> different way. And there's room for everybody. Like there's so many people out there who need coaching and some of them need, you know, organizational stuff and some of them need health stuff. And it's kind of miraculous that in, in a lot of ways, the tools are very much the same. <laughs> They are, and I think with coaching, what drew me to the Conscious Leadership Program was they said in this coaches training, you'll learn to, you know, the question is, can you be the being who can hold the field for transformation? Mm. So we, you know, we all have to get in touch with our own stuff in order to meet people where they are, so we're not throwing our own stuff onto their stuff, and so yeah. that takes a lot of work so even my the, the, I have a gut reaction to the word integrity and in coaching mm -hmm, like I actually mm -hmm. have seen most coaches as having really high integrity because you you can't you can't go with someone farther than you've gone yourself yeah. so coaches that I've been in touch with are so they're just lifelong learners they're yes. always making themselves better so they can help their clients and so I, I had the thought that I wonder if that person who asked you was a six. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> immediately was, went the Enneagram, <laughs> which is dangerous. You're not, you know, you, you right? can overplay that, but sometimes right. I'm like, huh, I wonder. <laughs> yeah. Fun. Well, thanks again, Stephanie. And I'm sure we will be in touch again very soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Take care. You too. Mm -hmm. We hope you enjoyed our two-part series on burnout and the Enneagram. If you are burning out in mission-driven work, I invite you to be sure to apply for the Eat Your Way to Health program that starts on March 1st of 2021. Applications for the program and for scholarships are now open, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Please note that any suggestions provided on this show are not meant to replace medical advice and the opinions of the guests on this show are their own. And Simply Health Coaching and Elizabeth A. Baker LLC neither endorse nor take responsibility for statements made by guests. Let me know your thoughts about the episode and share your biggest takeaways and aha moments. And let me know who else you want to hear from on the topic of being well while doing good. You can send me a voice message directly through Anchor as well as through some of the other listening platforms. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in your listening app so you never miss an episode. Love the podcast? You can support it with a donation directly from the podcast homepage in most listening apps. If you'd like to know more about my work, visit my website at simplyhealthcoaching.com. As always, the link is in the show notes.